And we're back. Welcome back to Altered States of Context. This isn't officially the start of Season 2, but it's a interim episode um, and an announcement that we will be coming back with the next season at the end of March. I'm here with Brian. How are you, Brian? Hi, Nate. Good to see you. Welcome, everybody. So you and I have been, what, busy doing a whole lot of nothing here in the last two months or what? Just, you know, hanging out by the fire, enjoying the cold winter snowy months. Gosh, doesn't that sound nice? I have not done that at all. <laughs> no, you've been, um, well, we've recorded. We've got a number of recordings for the next season done and ready to go. Um, what else have, have you been up to psychedelically, you know, in the last couple of months? Yeah, yeah, we've been busy recording. Uh, Nate and I are very excited about the next season of our podcast. Uh, I've been pretty busy with stuff here in Oregon. Um, Our clinical trial of MDMA for social anxiety disorder is about to start. So we've been really working, uh, you know, very um, intensely to prepare all of the things that need to happen for that. Um, so that's been really exciting. And then of course, in Oregon, measure 109, uh, with psilocybin services is, uh, currently underway. So that's been, uh, something that I've been spending some time with, uh, helping to make contributions to the board and try to understand how to develop best practices around what's going to be the nation's first psilocybin service, uh, opportunity for the public. Right and there. What about yourself, the, Nate? What are you up to? Right there at the cutting edge. That's so so exciting. Yeah, it feels like I've been bu- really really busy with a lot of this stuff myself. You know, in addition to cutting the um, the the interviews we've done, which by the way, listeners, you're gonna love them. We've got some really great interviews coming up this season. We're super excited. But I got involved with the process that we're gonna talk today um, about in our episode of creating a law in Illinois to decriminalize, legalize, and create a structure for psilocybin-assisted therapy. So it's a really great law. I mean, it's it's still in the works, but um, we have a legislative sponsor, and we're real excited about it. And that, that's been fun and taking up a lot of time. And like we ended the season on, there's just so much, you know, there's so much happening in this space right now. And, and I think we're both um, really involved in you know, act in ACBS and just put a whole bunch of proposals in for the world conference this year to have a whole lot of, uh, hopefully, um, psychedelic content at the ACBS world conference, which will be really exciting. And our listeners might also be interested in, um, I should have, uh, done my homework before this intro a little better because I don't remember the dates, but Brian and I are going to offer a training through Portland psychotherapy. Um, that, you know, if, if you're interested, it's a three hour, uh, psychedelic training in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy and act. Um, so that's something Brian and I have been working on together as well. Um, and that'll be in, do you remember the date off that's that? That's in May. That's in May. Um, and we'll put that in the show that's notes too. If you're, if you're interested, we'll put that in the show notes so you can, you can look that up and sign up for it if you, if you're, if you're interested. Uh, and you know, ACS world conference, if you've never gone and you are a therapist, an act therapist, or just a therapist who likes to be around great therapists and smart people. It's a really, really fun time. So yeah, it's been a busy winter. Yeah, there's, there's definitely 
so much happening in the psychedelic space, even since the last time we recorded or, or published a recording in December. Lots of developments, you know, we're trying to stay on top of everything, but, but increasingly it just becomes harder and harder given the exponential growth that we're seeing uh, in research and private companies in states passing legislation, whether it's psilocybin, uh, legislation or decriminalization. There's just so much happening all over, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. It is. It's sometimes I feel trying to follow all of it. Yeah, I definitely sometimes feel like my head spinning, um, you know, trying to follow it and keep up and um, and hopefully try to stay ahead a little bit. <laughs> well, we today we just actually got off uh, uh, the interview that we're going to share with you here. Uh, we just talked with um, Gene Lacey, who I've been working with um, around this this Illinois law, um, and Gene Lacey is a yoga therapist and business mentor, born and raised in Central Illinois, who's working to bridge the gap between psychedelics and Western healthcare. She's the founder of a World Tree Sanctuary, an interfaith community built around using entheogenic experience for spiritual growth. Gene also founded the Illinois Psychedelic Society in 2020 to educate and help the people of Illinois navigate the risks and benefits of using psychedelics while advocating for more effective drug policy in the state. Yeah, we just got done having that conversation with her, which, you know, initially I kind of thought, hey, let's, we'll do a quick episode, kind of a mini-sode to kind of throw out and kind of announce that, you know, season two is going to start soon. But, you know, we got talking to Jean and it was clear it wasn't a mini, going to be a mini episode because she's great and uh, really uh, enjoyable to talk to. And we could have talked for much longer. Yeah, I agree. Gene is amazing, and you're you're gonna love this this episode. Uh, I could have kept talking to her. I had so many more questions about some of the things she's up to. So we hope to have her back at some point. Yeah. So without further ado, here's our interview today, and look for altered states of context to be back at uh, the end of March uh, with another season. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're, we're here with Gene Lacey. Um, Gene is a powerhouse that I've had the opportunity to get to know um, over the last few months working on a law in Illinois to legalize psilocybin, to decriminalize most psych plant psychedelics, and to create a framework for psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Um, she's been the point person on that, and we've been working on getting that to happen, so we were hoping to talk about that today, but Jean also does a lot of other cool stuff, including she farms, so I have that in common. <laughs> um, she's right here in central Illinois, unusually. She and I ran into each other, um, not physically, but in virtual space, and we're like, holy moly, we're only an hour and a half from each other, and when you're in west central Illinois, that's a rare thing. Um, Jean also has a uh, something called World Tree Sanctuary, where she uses entheogenic experiences for... Um, uh, spiritual growth, um, and it's a protected 501. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it, Jean, instead of me just trying to get it right? Yeah, that's that's great. Um, thank you for for having me here. I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. 
Um, so yeah, World Tree Sanctuary is classified as a, um, a 508C1A faith-based organization here in Illinois. We are a legally registered organization built around using entheogenic experience for spiritual growth. So that includes multiple kinds of sacrament in the forms of plants and fungi, um, and also includes other practices, um, different forms of yoga, breath work, meditation, all of that stuff kind of gets us to that entheogenic experience. The word entheogenic really literally translates to creating the divine within. And so I, I describe it as cultivating the divine within because it's um, because I am a farmer also. Um, and I believe that we can like cultivate bringing that divinity into our day-to-day -day lives through many of these practices. So that's kind of the overarching goal of our community. We are an interfaith community. So we have people from all different faiths, all different backgrounds, um, people who are current practicing Catholics, people who are ex-Catholics, people who are, are Jewish, people who, are, um, who practice Hindu faith are all found within this same community using these same tools to reach the same transcendent states of consciousness. So it's it's pretty eclectic and it's pretty cool to bring all of those different people together. Um, my background actually um, started in the cannabis space here in Illinois. I have been an advocate for medical cannabis since we very first legalized here in Illinois back in 2015. Um, I worked in the medical cannabis industry for five years, helping people get certified for medical cannabis program and also learn how to integrate medical cannabis into their day-to-day -day lives and use it as a therapeutic tool. Um, and on my own journey on that same time, I was exploring other entheogens and other plant medicines um, and felt very called to be teaching other people about all of these other tools. Um, I love cannabis and it has its limits. So helping people integrate other kinds of plant medicines and also understand that all plants are medicine, focusing on nutrition, um, ethical sourcing of our food, all of those things factor into this kind of holistic lifestyle. So that was what I spent a lot of my time doing. Um, but it, it as this kind of psychedelic movement started to become bigger and bigger, we were realizing um, all of the different ways this is going to be integrated into Western healthcare and this this model that we're working with here. So um, I started advocating to physicians to integrate, um, starting with ketamine, these kind of experiences into their practice. So I helped open one of the first ketamine clinics in Chicago, um, which was a great experience, taught me a lot of different things about how to work these practices into a more clinical setting. Um, and then from there, I, I wanted to just bring these tools to people in a more accessible way that um, for the people who really weren't necessarily called to the clinical setting with these tools. So that was what really drove me to create WorldTree and give myself some protections. I'm, I'm a mother of three children. I'm a farmer. Uh, my husband and I have our own farm business. So um, I didn't want to step too far into the risky area without giving myself a layer of protection. Um, fortunately for me, I was connected to so many people within the psychedelic community, and particularly a man named Greg Lake, who is um, an expert in entheogenic churches and how to form 
form these kinds of entities across the U.S. Um, and he helped me kind of put together all of my internal documents and the things that I needed to actually legally form a corporation. Um, so in 20, in 2021, January 2021, it's been a little over a year, we legally registered here in Illinois. Um, so if you look on our website, worldtreesanctuary.org, you'll find a legal notice there that kind of explains um, what a 508C1A is, what a faith-based organization is, and, and why that this protects our practices. Um, fortunately, in Illinois, we have a very strong RIFRA, a Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So that allows us to to operate under this umbrella and feel really safe and comfortable in, in this community. Um, obviously, there's still some gray area risk, but we're very thorough in, in making sure we have those protections in place. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. We've talked a lot on this show, um, Brian and I have, about different contexts. We, you know, we, we focus, you know, we're both therapists and we focus uh, a lot on the clinical side and the conceptual side of you know, integrating um, uh, how we believe, think, um, hypothesize that um, psychedelics may act, uh, integrating that with, you know, theories of change, um, you know, and, and just thinking clinically about it. But we've also talked a lot about the importance of other contexts for using, uh, including religious ones, or what some people call recreational or celebratory or it can be used in a variety of contexts. So it's really interesting. We had um, Eric Osborne on last season to talk about uh, Sanctuary, which is a similar organization. It sounds like uh, before we were discussing it, you mentioned that that was focused specifically on mushrooms, while World Tree is sort of entheogens generally. Like what kind of substances specifically would you would you work with? Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> So we do work a, a lot with psilocybin containing mushrooms. That's it's a very safe substance, and it's something that um, people can develop a relationship with over time and find that this tool um, can be worked with on their own to help like facilitate this experience and also, you know, for our purposes, cultivate that divinity within themselves and help bring it forth into their day to day lives. Um, whatever we're, we're using, these practices are about um, creating long lasting change with, with whatever context you're looking for, whether it be spiritual context or just, you know, wellness context or therapeutic context. So we work a lot with psilocybin because it is such a safe substance and can be kind of, um, um, I can't think of the word, but you can kind of taper into it. You can gradually work your way up to like a really powerful entheogenic experience. Um, we also work with 5-MeO-DMT. That's a substance that's been really, really transformative in my personal life. And um, it's, it's, the, it's ineffable, more so than any of the other substances. You, you can't really de describe that kind of experience, but it is truly a connection to the divine in my mind. Um, and to that, that core place of ourselves that we're trying to tap into that we can use to observe this human experience and not get so attached to the suffering that is an inevitable part of being human. So we work a lot with 5-MeO-DMT, um, but also 
I mentioned we we can sometimes bring in outside facilitators. So there are a lot of other entheogenic churches in the United States that work with various substances. So we will team up with each other and, and kind of help serve each other's communities. So we'll bring in people who serve ayahuasca, um, which is another DMT containing brew. I'm sure you guys have talked a lot about on your podcast before. So that's another really interesting thing for people to work with. A lot of um, indigenous cultures really believe that each of these these substances or these plants or fungi are actually sentient beings that we can interact with and learn from. And some describe it as like downloading information from, which is, is really cool. So in my personal practice and also within the practices of my community, we have found that... Um, you know, kind of experimenting with these different practices can help people, um, number one, achieve that that long-lasting change or that long-lasting growth that they're looking for, um, but also find what really works for them. Um, because it's different for every body and every, every experience. So um, we also work with other tools that can create an entheogenic experience. Um, I mentioned meditation and breath work. There's so many ways to get to the same place. And so we can actually, without any substances whatsoever, create an entheogenic experience for ourselves. It takes practice. It's not something you can just like snap your fingers and go right into. Um, But it's really powerful for bringing us back to that place when um, all the human life pops up and we're trying to navigate it. My mind goes to Brian. It goes to Oregon, you know, because um, we're both uh, in Illinois right now and kind of, you know, investigating the possibility of, you know, really trying to make some legislative changes here. And Oregon, of course, is in in the thick of that. And I don't know. I know that the it's a very specific law in Oregon around um, psychedelic uh, psilocybin therapy only. Um, but I wonder what you know, you're, you're there, like, what are, are there um, religious communities doing a similar thing out there? Are they like, how are they interfacing with the Oregon law? Like what's, what's happening in kind of a religious front out in Oregon or to your, or do you have knowledge of that at all? Yeah, it's a great question, Nate. Um, So out here in Oregon, measure 109, which is creating psilocybin services for the public is, uh, meant to be a kind of a sidestepping of the medical model, uh, but it's also meant to include the medical model. So in the bill, um, there's language written so that, um, you know, people of all different backgrounds can be a, a psilocybin facilitator. So if that's in a spiritual context, if that's a therapist, uh, and, and that part of the bill is actually probably maybe the most controversial part that to do to be, to be um, you know, eligible to become a facilitator, all you need is a high school diploma, and then you need to compl- everyone needs to complete a tra- 160 hours worth of training. Um, so it's really meant <clears throat> to diversify how psilocybin is administered. And, and beyond that, yeah, there are some similar um, churches or religious groups out here in Oregon and Washington, but for the most part, that's a bit of a separate stream of development that is 
you know, that's not interfacing as, as far as I know, as directly with measure 109, which is more of an individual based administration, right? You go as one person to one facilitator. Um, there's been some talk in the bill about group context or group administration and what that might look like. But my understanding is for now, I'm, I, I think it's probably more likely that initially it's just going to be available on an individual basis. Yeah, it seems like there's been some interesting messaging on that because, of course, the bill was psilocybin therapy. That was that was the bill. It was the, how the bill was promoted. It was the language of the bill. Um, but then since the bill's passed, it seems like some proponents, I don't know, not all of them, but it seems like some have really stripped that word out and it's psilocybin services. It's not therapy anymore. And it seems like there's some interesting maneuvering there going on about like, well, what is it? Who's it for? Who provides it? Um, uh, does it have to be a licensed mental health clinician, which you would think if it's calling itself therapy, you know, you probably would, but if you don't call it that, then maybe like, I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of maneuvering around the language that I'm perceiving from, you know, from afar. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And I think that's, you know, initially it was sold, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was the bill was sort of presented to the public as mental health treatment. If you go back to the original ads, like people voted on this thinking this was mental health treatment. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's not exactly not mental health treatment, but it's, it's sort of trying to be everything, I think is one way to put it. And, uh, you know, Gina, I'm curious uh, how you might handle this situation in, in that I, I wonder if, you know, I'm, I'm wondering about the, the, the kinds of people who come to World Tree, and how do you handle folks who come thinking that I want treatment for my depression, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 maybe that's what their expectation is, and how do you how do you manage that expectation with them, providing informed consent about what it is that you are able to provide and what you're not able to provide? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, and it's interesting, it ties in directly what you guys were just talking about. You know, Oregon does not have as strong a RIFRA as Illinois. And so that creates um, some hurdles for people who do work like I do um, in regards to what they're going to be able to provide in Oregon. Um, so I'm grateful for the people who've done the work for, for religious re- freedom here in Illinois um, because it, it allows us to more freely operate. Um, so you know, it's beneficial for me that my my start with, you know, providing psychedelic services started in ketamine clinics, because I have an understanding of a wide range of molecules that can facilitate the same kind of experience. So when somebody initially comes to me, um, we have a very thorough intake process, we go over their, you know, their medical history, their, their spiritual history, um, and just kind of like where they're at and why they came to this place. And from there, we're doing a lot of talking and a lot of figuring out like what is the right molecule for this person um, to meet them where they're at. And so also fortunately, I have a lot of people within my network and within our community who are licensed mental health providers who do provide um, deeper support services than what I can provide. I am a certified yoga therapist, so that does give me a wider range of tools to work with um, with these people 
And there are some people who are just in a place where they need to be seeking like licensed therapy within for whatever mental health things that they're trying to deal with. So we definitely work hard on adjusting people's expectations. And also, um, I think a big part of that is providing additional resources, even if it's outside of what WorldTree offers, um, to be able to meet their needs. So, for example, it's it's pretty common knowledge at this point that there are a lot of pharmaceutical medications that are contraindicated to use with substances like psilocybin um, or 5-MeO-DMT or ayahuasca. And there is, I mean, so many people are on those medications and have been on them for years, decades, most of their lives even. And so, you know, that's a lot of those people will come and they're seeking they're seeking to change their lives or not have to to depend on these medications or they're even just feeling like these medications are no longer serving them. And so they they're wanting to find an alternative way. Um I I and limited in what I can do for those people in the terms of World Tree Sanctuary. I can provide them tools within the context of yoga therapy, but I can also connect them with ketamine providers because ketamine is is safe for a lot of those substances. There are a few that there are contraindicated for ketamine, um, but a clinician is, and the ones that I refer to are almost always working with other, you know, psychotherapists and psychologists. So those are the people that are really most qualified to help guide that person through that experience and help them figure out how it works into their other medications. So so I talk about those options with everybody. These are the tools that are available to you. It's, you know, sometimes it, it is it is astonishing to me the things that people go through seeking these services before they, they get to somebody like me who, who has a variety of tools to offer them. Um, so I really try to just meet each individual where they're at and give them a very thorough education. Um, to me, that's how you give true informed consent is like you inform the crap out of them. You give them all the information that they can possibly handle. And we do this over over time too. Most people, before they're coming to sit in an entheogenic session, whether it's breath work, whether it's meditation, um, or whether it's like a ceremony that involves substances, um, we're meeting three, four, sometimes five, six times, and we're having these thorough discussions, and we're really going deep into like what might come up in these sessions, or um, you know, just like what their history is and where they're at, and what they kind of need to do in the terms of the next step. So, to me, that's it gives them time to process the information that I give them, and then also gives me time to kind of figure out, okay, what kind of tools can we offer this person to get them to where they want to be. Yeah. And that's one limitation, I think, of uh, what's what we're doing in Oregon is that there's only one preparation session that's required, which I don't think is quite enough. I think it was written to be minimal so that it wasn't too expensive or too burdensome, which I totally get. Um, but there's, you know, there's something to be said, Gene, about meeting with somebody over a length of time and helping them digest information and make a good informed choice for themselves. Yeah, I agree. And that's, in my experience, seeking these substances and these practices, um, I definitely 
went into some things where I wasn't fully informed and I didn't really have the full context for the situation. Um, and also my experience of working in, in ketamine clinics um, afforded me the the opportunity to learn how to really truly give people true informed consent. And so um, that's kind of the unique position that I'm in, having been in the clinical setting and then, you know, gone kind of on the opposite end into that more spiritual context. Um, and that's a, a lot of my work revolves around bridging that gap and trying to figure out, like, what can the clinical community learn from the spiritual community? And what can the spiritual community learn from the clinical community? Um, because there's a lot of weird things going on in the underground and the unregulated. So, you know, we can all be doing more to be giving more thorough informed consent to be doing more thorough intake processes and, and actually documenting, you know, people's intake and their experience as they come into these communities. Yeah. So we, um, so another thing that, um, Jean, you've done is, um, you founded the Illinois, um, psychedelic society. Um, and through that, it seems like that's how, um, I guess I'm curious to segue into tell us how this process got started with creating this law that we've been working on in Illinois. Um, and I know that the inspiration for that law was the initial Oregon uh, law itself. And a lot of a big part of our discussion since have been trying to learn from Oregon's experience and, and, and um, you know, kind of correct for what we perceive from afar as maybe some weak points and, um, but anyway, why don't you yeah, tell us uh, how uh, that got started through the Illinois Psychedelic Society and, and, and just get us started there. Yeah, so I actually, um, when I stepped away from working in a clinical setting um, and I started kind of like engaging more people in like a more underground way and um, utilizing all of these other tools, it really just became grossly apparent to me how much education was still needed. Um, so that is what inspired me to start the Illinois Psychedelic Society. So I founded the Illinois Psychedelic Society in 2020 um, and immediately started hosting like integration circle style events. Um, and then really was just trying to get as much information into the hands of the everyday person as I possibly could. Um, you know, it's worth mentioning that when you're operating within a spiritual context, you are, um, um, maybe alienating is the word, you're, you're kind of like pushing away certain demographics of people who either have religious trauma or just like aren't, you know, seeking that spiritual angle of it, which is totally fine. So I saw a really huge need for a more widespread education. And so, um, so yeah, with have forming the Illinois Psychedelic Society and continuing to grow, it put me in the position to, um, people started to like recognize my name and know what I was doing. And um, I started to reach a lot wider audience with the Illinois Psychedelic Society. So that was what actually um, signaled Representative Ford to reach out to me back in December to kind of start the process of forming this bill in Illinois. Um, he had pulled from Oregon the uh, 109 initiative and essentially said, how can we fit this into Illinois' model? And so presented to me 
what was a very like cookie cutter almost model of Oregon, but with Illinois language. So said, here, Jean, find the advocates, find the stakeholders, and and let's make this what the Illinois want it to be. And so um, the first person I called was Vilmarie Fergwata Narlock. She's um, an awesome human being. She runs an organization called Sana Healing Collective in Chicago, and it is a psychedelic therapy clinic really based on community care. Um, but she's also the director of drug education for Students for Sensible Drug Policy. So she works on a lot of different policy initiatives in the realm of harm reduction. Um, so I knew that she'd be a great resource on this. And we kind of pulled in, um, I pulled in you, Nate, and then, um, you know, just the other people that we thought would have good perspective here. Um, and so from that, we've really been kind of examining our experiences in the psychedelic space and, you know, feeling the pulse on the ground of the grassroots organizers and what do we really think is important to be added. And that was how we ended up with not just a psilocybin services act, but a more in the direction of compassionate use of natural plants and fungi. And so compassionate use means that we understand that people using are using these substances regardless of their legal status. And so we want to provide a compassionate framework for them to do so more safely. And that really heavily involves decriminalization, decriminalizing the use of these substances, decriminalizing the possession. That is the most compassionate thing that we could possibly do, in my view, for the people of Illinois is um, make it not a crime for things that they're already doing anyways. So um, that was a, a really important thing for us to add into that framework. Now, you know, it's important to mention at this point that, um, you know, we're in the very early stages of this. And so this bill that we've been drafting still has to go through a very long process of being argued about by different legislators and go through go through the House of Representatives and the State Senate and, and then get passed through the General Assembly to the governor. So it's hard to say what we're going to end up with at the end of the day, but from, from the grassroots activist perspective, we really wanted to focus heavily on decriminalization and um, and, you know, building upon those psilocybin services that have been set forth in Oregon and trying to fine tune to make it better. Um, we do have the fortunate uh, opportunity to learn from Oregon as they're going through their advisory period and their rulemaking process. I spend a lot of my time listening to the sessions that are put forth by the advisory board and the things that the general public talks about in those sessions. And I learn a lot from that from that because that's really what are we able to kind of improve upon as we introduce this in Illinois. We're in a phase of socialization. Like I said, there's so much education that's still needed, not just with the general public, but with legislators, with medical professionals, with mental health providers. Um, so we're kind of putting forth what we think can be um, the most broad spectrum, I guess, um, and address all of those key points. So decriminalization is at the top of the list. And, you know, like Oregon, though, we're going to be like, strongly marketing, I guess, um, the therapy aspect of this, because I think it, this is a good point to say there's a difference between therapy and something that can be therapeutic. And so that's, that's a really important distinction there. Um, 
when we're talking about these things, but you know, this is going to be presented to the people of Illinois and also the legislators as, as a therapeutic option for the people who are suffering from mental health conditions um, or whatever it is that they're suffering from. So we're going to go through some of the same processes that Oregon has gone through in terms of figuring out what is therapy and who's providing it. And then what are all these other providers doing anyways? Um, and I think that that's something that we as a collective are going to have to face. Yeah, it's been a really, really interesting process. Um, and, you know, it's really forced me to think, you know, even more deeply about, um, you know, like post how to do post-prohibition with um, um, in a just way. Um, and, you know, so I thought a lot about, um, you know, autonomy and choices and, 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 and empowering people to make, uh, to make their own choices, to make informed choices about, you know, their own actions. Um, to me, that's sort of like the guiding principle as I'm thinking about all of this. Um, and, um, you know, one thing that Illinois has that I think is pretty remarkable is, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, at the moment allows for, um, the direct sale of psilocybin um, to people who can then take it offsite. You know, they can take the package of psilocybin and then do whatever the heck they want with it. Um, and that's pretty unique. Um, you know, I know in, in Oregon, they're, they're tripping up a little bit on like things such as like microdosing, which obviously you can't do on site all the time. So, so it's, you know, it sort of requires being able to take it with you. Um, and this is to sort of, it's, it's a way around this, but it's also a way to recognize the way that people in the world actually want to use it, right? Like people want to, um, people want to go to a concert. They want to go see Dave Matthews band and eat mushrooms. You know, they want to, um, <laughs> some people do, uh, maybe I might know some, um, I don't know who those people are. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, yeah, maybe the dead, maybe whoever. Um, but that's how, I mean, I would say, I almost say that. I don't know. Maybe that's even how most people use, um, but but certainly a, a large number. Um, you know, decriminalization is. Um, we really at the beginning were really pretty clear of the process. Like, we can't do this without decriminalizing it. You, know, you, you I, I just feel so strongly. You can't be like, let's move forward with therapy, so it's therapeutic and also profitable on the one hand, and then people are going to jail on the other. Like, that's just not there's just no way I could feel good about being a part of a process that did that. So we pushed, you know, for, and you know, to be honest, I don't think we have to push representative LaShawn Ford very hard on that particular issue. He is uh, very progressively minded with drug policy. Uh, he's been really great to work with. Um, so we wanted to make sure we included that language. Um, and as we talked about Brian in, a, in, I think the last episode of season one of the podcast, we talked a lot about, kind of a little bit about worry about um, co-option. You know, I didn't, you know, I, I, I remember thinking like, it's hard for me to imagine the brakes being put completely on psychedelics at this point. It's, it's certainly anything's possible. It's hard to imagine getting it just halted. Um, but what's a lot easier to imagine is that it gets co-opted by, um, by the, by, deep pocketed corporations who then kind of exert a completely different kind of control. That's not hard to imagine. Um, and so I think a huge 
part of my process when we've been thinking about this law has been how do we how do we make sure that doesn't happen um and for me it's you know giving people options and informed consent like they can go get therapy but they don't have to get therapy they can buy it and take it and do it on their own uh it's also if they want to grow it and just do it themselves it's not a crime um so it gives people options so they don't have to go through um an expensive and overpriced um process from a corporation if they don't want to do that um so I think individual autonomy sort of in my mind has been kind of an answer to how to avoid the pitfalls of corporatization. But um, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious what, what you guys think about how to avoid that. And, and Gene, just any other thoughts about the, the, the process that we've been really putting a lot of effort into. It's taken quite a bit of time here in the last couple of months. Yeah, it's been a huge amount of effort and so much time, so much time and, and just like mental energy to really think about the nitty gritty details of this. And, you know, it's, it's worth mentioning that specifically here in Illinois, we are still on the heels of cannabis legalization and adult use cannabis being a thing. So a lot of what we're also looking to is what mistakes did we make in that process and what can we improve upon as we look to regulate other substances? You know, there's some like very distinct differences in the way that people consume cannabis and the way that people consume substances like psilocybin. Um, It's hard for me to imagine the sales of psilocybin being this like billion dollar industry that they describe it to be because of that. Um, I think that the services themselves and the providing, you know, integration support or actually guided guided um, journeys and things like that are going to be more where where the money is and, and the ancillary services that revolve around that. Um, but then there's, yeah, there's absolutely. The, I'll, just know. not, not to, I want to interject if I can, just to reinforce that point. Um, like a lot of it is just it's labor cost, right? You know, it's right. it's it's that then that's it's not selling a product; it's labor. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. and we we know the way that like giant corporations tend to think about labor. And I don't want to be part of a system in which you know people providing services are being squeezed and 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 their values are being driven down by their you know, corporate overlords who are, you know, just trying to squeeze as much as they can out of the exchange. So I think we want to avoid that. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Well, and that's, uh, we, we see that already in ketamine. And so this is something that I explain to people a lot. And I'm aware that this is my unique perspective, having worked in, in ketamine clinics, but you know, these same clinics that are now serving ketamine are going to be looking, you know, in the very near future to also implementing MDMA services. Um, and then, it, you know, in the future also are going to be looking to implement psilocybin services. And, you know, that that was a key change that we made in in our version of this bill versus what Oregon had is that we're not limiting it to like rural places like retreat centers providing those services. We are also thinking about the urban clinics who are already providing, you know, psychedelic assisted therapy or, or even just ketamine therapy um, that are facing this. And so, you know, when you look at how a ketamine clinic is structured, ketamine itself is like dirt cheap. It's actually very, very inexpensive. 
But in order to serve ketamine, you have to be medically licensed. You have to have a medical director. You have to have a skilled nurse to, to perform IVs. You have to have a building. You have to have insurance, blah, 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 blah. And so it's actually the service, the services and the service providers are where the costs come in. Um, so and it's going to be very similar when you're talking about psilocybin services because, you know, psilocybin itself is pretty cheap and it's pretty cheap to grow yourself and and these but what we're paying for when we go to a service center like that is the licensing and and the providers training and all of those little nuanced things um so we're we already kind of have a picture of what that's going to look like um and that's again this is one of the key differences between the ways that that cannabis is used and the way that these other things are used cannabis is actually not so cheap to grow um and it's also not like um eco-friendly like these these cannabis cultivation centers are are really having a dramatic um eco imprint with their like gajillion lights in these big huge warehouses you can there's like maps and information out there you can look at that so um and psilocybin's not going to be the same to cultivate psilocybin you don't need fancy lights you don't need you know a ton of high-tech equipment to process and and sure there's going to be people doing stuff like that but that's not really what's core needed to create a product that's consumable um so it's not going to be expensive for the psilocybin itself and it's worth noting too as we're looking at legislating that and regulating it um taxes are going to be a huge factor here because you can't tax service like you can't in Illinois. It's against the tax code. And so um, I'm pretty sure that's a national thing. Actually, I'd have to look it up. But so the tax of that are that are going to be going back to the state to fund this program and, and regulate it are only coming from the sale of the substance itself. And so how are we going to address that? Are we going to end up with a, a you know, right now the language says 15 percent on a state level and there's no opportunity for municipal tax. Well, are we gonna end up with 35% tax on psilocybin because they're gonna be trying to extract as much value as possible? Um, that's kind of you know disturbing to think about because that's like recreational ca cannabis tax numbers. Um, but that's a very real possibility as we're looking at this because there, it's very limited on how much money you're actually gonna be making off the psilocybin itself. I know that's that's something out in Oregon yeah. that is also being uh, th there's going to be a tax on the on the actual psilocybin, um, but I, yeah, I mean I think you know stepping back, this, this raises a larger point around what is the type of experience that's needed to hold space. You know, I think one of the things that there was an article written and and uh, about psilocybin 109 program and. I think it said something like it's basically a, a trip sitting program. It's it's basically a program where you're going to go and have a safe place for, with someone who knows about altered states to some degree who can kind of hold space for you. It's not necessarily trained in things like trauma or suicidality or depression. Um, but, you know, because this is such a new thing in our culture, at least for a lot of people. I mean, of course, the, it's not new to, to many in the psychedelic communities, but for so many of the popular culture who are kind of waking up to the psychedelic renaissance, you know, people are reading about it and hearing about it and forming these ideas that then they're bringing to 
their interest to seek services. I mean, as a therapist who advertises that I do psychedelic integration therapy, and it's all over my website that I don't provide psychedelics. I mean, I get calls almost uh, probably about one a day if you average it out someone seeking out psilocybin therapy where you have to say, no, not yet. And so there's a lot of confusion in the public. I'm curious how, what, what's going on in Illinois around um, the public opinion and how are you interfacing with people? How are they responding to this? Are people getting excited about it? Are people getting nervous about it? Mm -hmm. I, everything, both. <laughs> there, I mean, people, some people are very nervous. There, there's, um, I, some people are very nervous. They're, they're scared of, you know, what can happen to people if they have quote unquote bad trips or, um, you know, become like psychologically unstable, which, which can happen. And that's really why it's so important that that screening process and that initial like intake is so crucial because, um, you know, there's like, to your point, not a lot of facilitators are going to be trauma informed. Not a lot of facilitators are going to have like extensive backgrounds in other forms of training that translate. Um, so there, there really needs to be a clear process of like filtering the people into the, the, the places that are right for them. And there also has to be guidelines on how people can market themselves and being transparent about their level of expertise and experience and training is, is a key piece of that puzzle too. Um, so there are definitely the people who are fearful of what might come of that. Um, and also there's a huge demographic of people who are already using these substances anyways. And they're very excited at the idea that they can have a trusted regulated product. You know, they're, they're like having to tap into underground networks that are, you know, sometimes it's scary and sketchy and, and, from my perspective, I saw this happen with cannabis. Um, you know, when we, it first started to become like, oh, this is this is a medicine. It was you know people seeking out their old connections from high school, trying to get get cannabis to use therapeutically, and so having um, somewhere that you can go and get a product that's tested and trusted, and that you know exactly what's in it, is just like hugely valuable to a lot of the people that are already using these substances anyway. So those people I see getting very excited. Um, and, and from, you know, my perspective of, of, you know, engaging with people in a lot of these practices, um, there's people from all walks of life seeking these services. There are people who, you know, like I mentioned earlier, who've been seeking Western treatments for, for decades and not really finding any real breakthroughs or, or, you know, even people who aren't necessarily on pharmaceutical substances, but say they've been seeking psychotherapy and they've been with the same therapist for two and a half, three years, and they're, you know, at a plateau, they can't make any more progress. And so they're seeking something that can get them to a breakthrough space. Um, so again, those are the people that I see like getting really excited about, something coming forth that they can go seek that practice in a, in a really safe, controlled um, way that they know exactly what they're getting from whom exactly they're getting it. Yeah, I think that um, it is interesting to see there's a broad variety of people interested, but I, I think in Illinois in particular still, I mean, everywhere, there's just so much education needed because I think your average person just doesn't really know much about it at all. Um, and I think especially amongst people who are uh, interested in psychedelics, um, 
and proponents and involved. Um, what I get talking to people, I think the shadow of uh, Timothy Leary looms a lot, looms a lot um, more ominously in the minds of the people who are worried about it than in the actual public. I think most people, if you're if you're if you're less than sixty years old, you basically don't care about Timothy Leary. Right. Like that was a long time ago at this point. Like your, your average person doesn't think that much about it. And it's not necicarily like, like their first association with the word psilocybin is definitely not that. Um, and even if it is that they don't have as strong opinions as uh, a lot of people might, I'm not saying that there's not stigma out there still, but I think we, you know, uh, I, I think, um, I think there's still people who are really afraid to talk about it because of the perceived, um, association. Um, and, um, you know, my experience is that mo- most of the time you, you know, you, you have conversations with people who are pretty naive to it and there's some openness and curiosity and there's a lot of room to educate people, you know, and not encounter, uh, that resistance or just that blind sort of like, Ooh, that's, that's bad hippie stuff. Um, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but I, I haven't found that to be as prevalent as like, I think a lot of people think that it is. Mm-hmm. And there's big differences, but you know, like I work in Chicago and I live downstate. So there's some really major differences between those demographics of people too. So, um, you know, I think that the people in the communities that, that Nate and I live in, um, more are on the side of like totally clueless they're like what it's like silo what i don't mm-hmm. mushrooms those are all poisonous like don't touch any of them you know so they really don't they don't have any context or any understanding whatsoever but also except morels everybody loves the morels around here of course true. that's true <laughs> Mor- unless it's a morel then that's like the only type of edible <laughs> mushroom that exists for downstate Illinoisans um, and Chicagoans are like, Oh my God, you have morels. That's amazing. Um, yeah, that's true. But also, you know, given the broader context of the time that we're in globally, I also recognize that even the people who have no clue about psilocybin or like transcendent states of consciousness are still hungry for that shift in consciousness. And, and, you know, for me, this is very spiritual, and I always bring it back to this being about um, collective consciousness. But I think that everybody across the board is hungry for that change and hungry for that shift that can come with a lot of these practices. Maybe even if they don't understand, you know, what these substances is they're doing, they're seeing the global situation that we're in and saying, hey, hold on, wait a second, this stuff has got to change, we've got to, we've got to have some shifts. And so I, I really believe that there's an opportunity there to, um, to educate right in that avenue to, you know, these practices, not just substances, and, and I preach this all the time, not just substances, but so many other mindfulness practices and, and unpacking our biases and this, this self understanding, um, and this a better understanding of each other. I think that even if you don't understand substances, that people are really still hungry for that at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, as we, um, continue to find our way into, yeah, a post prohibition environment, um, 
yeah, it's been really, like I said at the beginning, it's been really interesting to be a part of that process uh, legislatively so far and really have to think about, you know, how to, um, you know, it's it's very tricky and um, it, it it's not going to be as easy as just like, yep, prohibition's over and everything's legal. It's like, okay, well, how do we do that mindfully and how do we do that it, with respect for people's autonomy and, and like i just think you have to like people get to choose right people get it you, we need people need information people get to choose how to live their lives it's a free country after all damn it yeah well then you know you've brought this up multiple times throughout this process nate but we're also in this like idea of framing this as therapy we're also having to address the the mental health community and the the people who are currently providing mental health services and also advocating for mental health policy in Illinois that's completely separate from psychedelics. So there's there's another big gap to bridge there on how do we get those people who are already mental health providers and already like, you know, involved in that process of getting mental health people, um, you know, mental health services expanded in Illinois, how do we get them to understand that something like this can be mental health services and also so much more. Um, and also that's going to be our, yeah, that, that and also is really, really important. And it is very tricky because I think, you know, as soon as you start, if you're talking about therapy for a mental health condition, you know what you're saying when you use those words, therapy for a mental health condition, you are saying, all right, then this is in the domain of clinician experts, right? Like, those are key words that say that, you know, if you're saying therapy, there is a credentialed uh, body of professionals that are now involved, right? If you're just saying the word psychotherapy, you know, and if you're saying for a mental health condition, you're, you know, you are pulling for these credentialed bodies of professionals. So it, so you have to be really clear in your language that this isn't only therapy for mental health conditions because if you are and if that's how you're promoting it then you're 100 percent going to use that model and it's going to be expensive as hell and it's going to be expensive for everyone even for somebody who just wants to have a guided trip who is you know not looking for treatment like so you have to differentiate and be careful in the language you're using that you know it it it, it can be that it can be therapy for a psychiatric condition and it can be supervised use um, for someone who, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I think that it, especially at first with the law, it seemed like the language was all around mental health. And it's like, well, we can't just, you can't push that through. I, I don't think you can't, it can't be just that um, uh, because that doesn't give any room to maneuver. It doesn't give any room for, you know, for people to, yeah, just, just, I just want to hire, so I just want somebody to be there in case I freak out, but I just want to have my trip, you know, like that's all. I'm a little nervous that I'm going to freak out. So if somebody's there, I'll feel cool and I don't really need anything. Uh, and that's fine and actually really useful. Um, and I love that we included the direct sale. I think that that's great because, you know, if some people can choose, because here's the thing, like you said a minute ago, Gene, they do already. People use this stuff every day, all the time. Like we, we pretend sometimes these conversations can like get really weird and that like we're, well, but what if people just take it to a concert? Have you been to a fucking concert in your life? Like that's what happens. <laughs> like this isn't like, we're like, oh my gosh, we're creating this whole new thing. People might use it in these ways. It's like, well, 
that happens all the time. And so it's just making it safer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I... I spent a lot of my time thinking about this concept too, that, you know, the, the reason that people seek substances like psilocybin, like cannabis, or even like the, the reasons that people use alcohol are the same exact reasons that people use any other substance. So stress, anxiety, depression, pain, trauma, recreation, you know, just like reaching a transcendent state just for the sake of it, or just altering your 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 consciousness for whatever reason. Um, so it really almost doesn't matter what substance you're putting in there. The reasons that people are using them are the same, and that's really what why I believe it's just so important to give people so many variety of options. And I have heard the conservative argument that, you know, no, we can't decriminalize this until we create a medical model for it, because only then are we going to like really fully understand. Um, and, and those same people will also say, you know, we have to have this, this framework for therapy only first before we can do any of this other stuff. Um, and, and, you know, for me and, and a lot of the people that I work with and talk to and a lot of the people who are on the ground doing the real work in this space, um, I would rather not have, I would rather have n- keep it status quo than go to like a restrictive medical only model. Um, to me, that's how we create um, the same kind of like monopoly situation that's happened in Illinois cannabis, where where six companies own the whole market, is that we restrict it to only this first before we open it up to decrim or anything else. That was exactly the route they took with cannabis. So um, I think we saw very blatantly the issues that go with that. So um, I would rather keep pushing for decrim and versus going through, you know, therapy only and then trying to do decrim down the road. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And another reason I feel in favor of that approach is, you know, the, the, the issue around the fact that use of medicines, you know, has been part of many cultures tradition that we have, you know, made illegal, that we've made it difficult for them to do their, their ceremonies or have access to their medicine. So it kind of seems like an insult to say that, you know, only therapists can do this, which is essentially saying only, you know, middle-class, upper-class white people will have access to this. And, you know, given all of the cultural change that's going on in our country simultaneously to this psychedelic renaissance, it just makes so much sense to me for so many reasons um, to, to not restrict it to one particular model. Uh, you know, I think there's, a, we could, we could list many, dangers to that or many negative consequences that can come from that. Uh, and, and, you know, as you, you said, Nate, people are already using this. And I think part of, you know, what are our, uh, harmful attitudes about drugs is in, in this country is we pathologize people for wanting relief. We, po- we pathologize fun. We say, Oh, well, what if people use it for fun? Like, you know, like that's a bad thing somehow. It, it's so strange. Our, we have this kind of like puritanical attitude in our culture where uh, you can't like, it's like a taboo to say that, oh, I, I'd, I'd like to alter my consciousness 
just for fun. I'm not saying that's all of psychedelics. I'm, I'm just saying if that's a way someone wants to use it, you know, they should be allowed to do that in a way that's as safe as possible without feeling bad about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was, when I was nice, oh. cannabis too. go ahead, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say like, or those same people going in under the guise that like, oh, I guess I do need therapy because, you know, I, and the, we saw that with cannabis, like people, like I'm going to go seek a medical card and like, you know, I don't really identify as having any of these conditions, but, but I'm going to, for the sake of like having that access to it. So, and I, I would hate to see the same kind of system created for psilocybin where people are like, well, I guess I'll go for therapy if that's the way that I can access this. That's, that's silly. <laughs> that's silly. And that's, and that, and that's really damaging. I think that that's very bad. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I do think there's a risk if you only have uh, a model set up for therapy, you will have people trying to, um, you know, pretend their way into that um, just so they can get that experience. So, you know, I, I need to you know act like I have this symptom or that symptom and that, that corrodes um, that's, that's a terrible, terrible thing and should be avoided at all costs. And the only way to really avoid it is just, you know, if people want to do it, they let them do it. Don't make them pretend. Don't make them act like they have something they don't. Cause that also corrodes the, the integrity of actually being able to provide the service. Um, you know, the, you know, I think that, yeah. I think that these can really help people who are suffering with mental health conditions. But if, if that's your beat, if you're like a mental health professional or if you're a researcher and you want to say, okay, great, show how psychedelics can help with that. You don't have to – like you can have that little bit of the territory, right? <laughs> to look, But that doesn't – all the, whatever else happens is fine, right? Like if people want to use for other reasons and other contexts, that's fine. And you know, because you're looking at it through a mental health lens doesn't mean that you should have any opinion at all, <laughs> at all about um how it's used in other contexts because that's not your territory you know stay in your damn lane Mm -hmm. anyway Mm -hmm. on that note i think we probably ought to wrap it up but thank you very much uh for coming on gene it's been uh really fun to to talk today and been really uh, great the to have the chance to work together the last few months and i'm sure we will find ways to collaborate in the future for sure Absolutely. Yeah. Thank thank you guys so much for, for having me. This was a great discussion. And I just want to like throw in there, um, you know, to the people of Illinois that might be listening, um, I need you to start paying attention. <laughs> I need yeah. you to pay attention to who you vote for. And these, these people that we're bringing into our political arena. Um, and if this cause is really important to you, um, you know, be making sure that the people that you're supporting in the legislature are also behind this initiative as well. I was going to say, you can join the Illinois Psychedelic Society. Um, and you know, yes. do you have anything else you want to tell people about how they can find you or what they can do to get involved? Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, IllinoisPsychedelicSociety.org. Um, we are a nonprofit organization, so all of the work that we do um, is mostly volunteer. So if you want to support our efforts and all of this this advocacy that we're doing, please make a donation, become a monthly donor. Um, Get in, just get involved. We have in a couple weeks, we have a monthly meeting coming up. Um, we gather at least once a month. A couple weeks after that, we're doing another educational event um, around the topic of microdosing. We just had a ketamine event last night. That was really amazing. Um, so check out our website, get involved. Um, 
And then if you're interested in the context of World Tree Sanctuary, worldtreesanctuary.org is our website. Um, and so you can check out all the information there and find inf information on how to contact me there also. That's awesome. great. Well, good luck to both of you and to the state of Illinois. I, I definitely hope that you can learn from some of the mistakes that we uh, made in our, our writing of a bill, which we understood was inevitable because it's a new thing. And so it's good to hear that you're, you're paying attention. And uh, I think with each iteration of, of different states trying to repeat this process, that it'll it'll get it'll be it'll be more improved. Uh, so good luck, and uh, it's exciting to hear about. 